Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello, and welcome back to Enrich Menopause. Let me take you through a little scenario. Say you've been more than a year without your periods, you haven't seen blood in a while, you've put away all your pads, all of your tampons, you think, I'm done. I'm officially postmenopausal. I'm not going to have to deal with this anymore. And then you sit down to go to the bathroom, and when you're wiping after you go to the bathroom, you notice some blood on the toilet paper. That's strange. That shouldn't be there. You're wondering what's going on. Well, don't panic, but this is definitely something that we should look into more. It's something that we call postmenopausal bleeding. The first thing we want to figure out is where is that blood coming from? Sometimes it can be hard when you're just wiping on the tissue to know, is this coming from the bladder and the urethra? Is this coming from the vagina and therefore either the vagina or the uterus or the cervix? Or is this coming from the rectum? So doing a little bit of detective work beforehand to see, you know, is it mixed in the stool? Is it mixed in the urine? Does it come when I put in a tampon? Can help to identify where that's coming from. But of course, we can check at the doctor's office to see a little bit more where it's coming from too. That may involve doing a few things, sometimes putting a small catheter in the bladder to see if there's blood in the urine directly, sometimes doing a speculum exam to look at the vagina and the cervix to see where the blood may be coming from in the vagina, sometimes doing different tests of the stool, like what we call a guaiac test, where we look for blood in the stool or even colonoscopy if you haven't had that yet and there's some concern that blood is coming from the rectum. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to focus a little bit more on saying, okay, we've ruled out the things from the bladder. We've ruled out the things from the bowels. This is something that's coming from the vagina or from the pelvic organs. What could it be and what do we need to check for and what do we need to worry about? So first of all, don't panic. If it's not heavy bleeding, it's not an emergency, but it is something that you should follow up with your gynecologist about. So not that you need to get in tomorrow and see exactly what's going on, but you should make an appointment to get a workup. Most commonly, we see bleeding like this, this sort of small amount when you're wiping or a little bit of spotting on your underwear. Most commonly, that can be from that genitourinary syndrome of menopause that we've talked about previously, or vaginal atrophy is the old name for that. What that is, is the lack of estrogen in the tissues around the vagina and the labia and the urethra and the bladder that can cause a lot of symptoms like dryness and discomfort with sex or urinary symptoms like frequency and urgency and leakage or make you more prone to infections. So when you have that and it's untreated, it makes the tissue thinner and drier and more sensitive so that even something like wiping can cause a little bit of bleeding, particularly if there's issues around the urethra, what we call a urethral caruncle, where that lack of estrogen causes the kind of inner, more sensitive tissues of the urethra to push out. Or just the vagina in general can be sensitive. And from different things like 
just friction from walking and from clothing, from pelvic exams, from sex, you can get some bleeding from all of those things. That's something that can be evaluated for and, of course, treated. And we've talked about this in prior episodes about treating with either things like vaginal estrogens or moisturizers or lasers or some other treatments. So many different ways that we can treat that. That's one of the more common reasons for bleeding. It can also be related to infections. So if you did get one of those vaginal infections, like a yeast infection or bacterial vaginosis, that can also cause a lot of irritation and bleeding. And that's something that can be treated pretty simply and would also recommend treatment for the genital urinary syndrome or menopause if you're getting vaginal infections, because again, treating that will help to decrease the amount of infections. But what's really important is that we rule out the scarier things that can cause that bleeding. And for this, I'm talking about precancers and cancers of the cervix and the uterus. To rule out precancers and cancers of the cervix, it's pretty simple. We would do a pap test for that. So if you are having bleeding and you've had a pap test within the last year, it can be reassuring that you don't really have anything going on with the cervix. Now, of course, we stop pap testing for postmenopausal women at some point, usually around the age of 65 if everything's been normal. So if you're beyond that and you haven't had a pap test in a while, then doing a pap test to evaluate for that bleeding is going to be important for you. Evaluating the uterus is a little bit more complicated than that. Typically, we start with something like a pelvic ultrasound, so usually a transvaginal ultrasound with a probe in the vagina to look at the uterus, and we also look at the ovaries at the time. What we're looking for is to see if there are any masses there, so things that may be benign masses like polyps or fibroids that are very common and can cause some bleeding abnormalities even after menopause. And then we also want to look at the lining of the uterus. So particularly, we want the lining to be very thin. So in somebody who's postmenopausal and having bleeding, if the lining is four millimeters or less, we typically think of that as being a pretty good measure that they are unlikely to have uterine cancer or endometrial cancer. Now, there is some recent evidence that that's not really the case for all women. So many of those studies with initial data showing that four millimeters or less were focused on women who were mostly white. And we've found from more recent data that for black women, that measurement of four millimeters or less may not be as helpful at ruling out uterine cancers as it is for white women. And that's because of a couple factors, particularly that the types of endometrial cancers are a little bit different in black women and white women. For both black and white and actually women of all races, the most common type of cancer is endometrioid cancer, which is fairly predictably identified or ruled out by that thickening of the lining of the uterus. But for black women, they have a little bit more high percentage of a different type of endometrial cancer that tends to have a little bit thinner endometrium on the ultrasound. And black women are more likely to have fibroids, although they're very common in all women, which can make it a little bit more difficult to identify that lining of the uterus. So sometimes in black women who have a lining of four to five millimeters or something that would 
consider reassuring overall, we may still consider doing a biopsy. And for all women, if that ultrasound is showing a lining that is more than four to five millimeters, then typically we would recommend further evaluation of the uterine lining. Now, if the lining is a little bit thicker, if that's you know six or seven or eight millimeters, it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything cancerous or precancerous there. It just means that we can't rule it out with ultrasound alone. So we need to go to the next step. That next step may be an endometrial biopsy, which we can typically do in the office. What that involves is putting a small straw-like device through the vagina, through the cervix, into the uterus, and taking a sample of the lining throughout the uterus. It's a pretty quick procedure that's done in the office. It is not the most comfortable thing in the world. Definitely can have some strong cramping that goes along with this, but it's different for everybody. Overall, though, it's fairly quick, and that gives us a pretty good idea of is there something precancerous or cancerous in the uterus? Is there maybe polyps in the uterus that we may want to remove or identify further? And if everything looks good and the findings on the ultrasound kind of match up with the findings on the biopsy, then that's a pretty good sense that we've ruled out endometrial cancer. Now, if the findings on the biopsy don't quite add up with the ultrasound, or if the ultrasound shows a very thickened endometrium, maybe more than a centimeter, or might look like there could be a mass there, then I would recommend a hysteroscopy to evaluate this further. What a hysteroscopy is, is it's a test where we go in through the vagina, through the cervix with a small camera so that we can look directly in the uterus and then evaluate what we see there, remove any masses, or take a sampling of the lining of the uterus. Many times this is done in a surgery center, like in an operating room with anesthesia, although in some cases it can be done in the office with varying levels of anesthesia, really depending on the patient, depending on the office setup, and depending on what we're expecting to find based on the ultrasound. Generally, during that hysteroscopy, if we do find a mass or a polyp, it can be removed and sent to the pathologist to see, is this something that's benign or not cancerous, or is there a potential risk for precancers and cancers of the uterus? Most commonly, we see benign polyps, but of course, we don't know based on the ultrasound alone, so it's really important to do that hysteroscopy and remove what's ever there so that we know exactly what we're looking for. Now, if it does come back that it's not benign, there are different factors that we're looking at, particularly when we're looking at hyperplasia, which is precancer of the uterus. There are different types of hyperplasia, some things that can be more simple and without a lot of atypical cells. We define these in slightly different ways, but if there's a certain type of low-grade hyperplasia, that's something that can be monitored closely, either with biopsy or hysteroscopy, can sometimes be treated with progesterone medications, whether in an IUD or an oral medication, but of course can also be treated with a bigger procedure like a hysterectomy, so we don't have to worry about that progressing to cancer of the uterus. For higher grade dysplasias or things that already look like they're a little bit abnormal and could progress to uterine cancer, we do recommend hysterectomy for this type of treatment. 
Now, in some cases, it can be treated a little bit differently in women who are not yet menopausal, who may want to keep the uterus for childbearing purposes. But really, for menopausal women who are having bleeding and who have these types of hyperplasia, I recommend hysterectomy strongly because many times we find that there may actually already be uterine cancer present among the hyperplasia that was not identified in that uterine sampling. And if there's not, the chance of progression to uterine cancer is quite high. So a hysterectomy is a great option. Of course, we may have found already that there is uterine cancer present either on the endometrial biopsy or on the hysteroscopy. And in those cases, definitely a hysterectomy is warranted. For many women, because of the bleeding, we tend to find this type of cancer early. So in many cases, the surgery alone is enough treatment, although some women may require things like chemotherapy and radiation afterwards. Now, we've talked about some of the scary things that can cause bleeding and why it's so important to have that evaluated, but there are other factors as well. Particularly for some women on hormone replacement therapy, while we typically don't think of hormone replacement therapy as causing bleeding often if you're using both the estrogen and the progesterone and you have a uterus. For some women, that estrogen is enough to stimulate some growth of the lining of the uterus and can cause some bleeding. Of course, you have to go through the same workup as everyone else does to rule out those scarier things. But if you've ruled it out, then sometimes adjustments to the hormone replacement therapy can be enough to stop the bleeding. But if you're having persistent bleeding, whether or not you're on hormone replacement therapy, whether or not you've already had some basic workup like an ultrasound or an endometrial biopsy, if that bleeding is coming back again and again, that's really going to require a further workup, usually with the hysteroscopy and talking with your doctor about what those next best steps might be. The bottom line is, if it's been over a year since your periods have stopped and you see blood of any kind, it's really important that you have that evaluated with your doctor, evaluate for the scarier things that it can be, treat the less scary things that it can be, and make sure that if that bleeding is persistent, even if you've already had the workup, you keep informing your doctor and make sure that you go on to the next step to make sure we're not allowing this to progress to something that can be more dangerous for you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enriched Menopause.